in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean how marvelous how marvelous my sins and my sorrows he took my sins and my sorrows he made them his very own he bore the burden to calvary and suffered and died Amazing grace, amazing mercy for us, amazing love. We're going to sing about that love. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Is greater far 
than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to skies a parchment made were every stalk on earth a quail and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the with this song that says, if I spent my whole life and all eternity searching and searching, I will never find one like you. Lord, there is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do.
with us. There is none like you. There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. There is none like you. Sing it again. There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. I could search. I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. Your mercy flows. Your mercy flows like a river wide. And healing comes from your hands. Suffering children are safe in your arms. There is none like you. There is none like you. I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. Your mercy flows, your mercy flows like a river wide, and healing comes from your hands. Suffering children are safe in your arms. There is none like you, oh, oh. there is none like you, oh, oh, oh. no one else can touch my heart like you do, I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. I could search for all eternity. I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. Before our brother Randy White speaks, we just have a thank you letter to read from the Sousa family. And we know that Alexander had that accident and broke his collarbone, and he went through recent surgery, and they're very thankful for all the blessing that the Lord has brought through it and all thankful for all the things God has done. It says, to our dear church family, thank you so much for the prayers, visits, gifts, encouragement, meals, and phone calls that helped us get through Alexander's collarbone injury and surgery. It was a crazy time for us with an ambulance ride, doctor visits, and complex decisions on treatment options. 
We want to thank the Lord and the leadership for their counseling and making Alexander's treatment path clear. We also want to thank the many brothers and sisters that came to the hospital to pray with us before the operation. We were all very touched. We want to thank the Lord that the break was not more severe than it was. The original x-ray had shown that it was not as severe, so we had, if we had chosen the path of treatment without surgery the doctor had originally recommended, we would not have had the good outcome that we have today. It showed us once again that the Lord knows the future and therefore reinforced the constant need for us to pray to him to direct our path. We also want to thank the Lord for what ha appears to be already a good start to what we hope will be a speedy recovery for Alexander. Thanks again, Mike, Alicia, Christiana, and Alexander Souza. So let's pray for this family that the Lord will heal Ag Alexander very soon. Indeed, thank you. Well, good morning. Good to see folks again. If you want to turn your Bibles to First uh, Timothy chapter one, let's pray. Father, we just pray that as we look into your Word this morning, that you will indeed speak to us. We tell you very honestly, Lord, that we need to hear from you um, every day hour by hour, and we just want to know, hear what you would have to say to us through Timothy, and we pray that um, we will not only have the ears to hear, but also the hearts to want to do whatever it is that your Spirit's um, leading us to do. Uh, we just pray that that'll be real clear to us uh, as we uh, look into your word and as we leave this place. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's read 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to pick up the story here where, or I shouldn't say the story, but the letter where Paul is writing to Timothy and he's writing to him and among many things wanting to just in Ephesus remind him about the false teachers that are present and things that he wants to make sure that he imparts to the believers. And he says in verse 18, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them you might fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Kind of a sobering little section in scripture right there of what Paul is writing to Timothy, and the subject this morning I just want to touch on for the next 25 or so minutes that we have is the issue of avoiding dry shipwreck. Recently was on a cruise a few months ago with some friends in, in Mexico, and while we were on that line, we saw one of the ships not affiliated, well actually it was affiliated with our line that was um, adrift in, at sea due to uh, an engine failure, and prior to that another ship recently had capsized, if you're familiar with it, in Italy. And the circumstances behind that um, seemed to be a, a pilot or captain error of getting too close to shore, and it capsized, and a number of people were, were taken. 
Recently, it, um, in the Fairlands, there was a yacht that capsized. You might have heard of it, and I think there were five folks that were missing. Over the years, and hundreds of years, there's been shipwrecks of all types, some much smaller, but one that definitely comes to our mind, I'm sure, is what occurred on April the 15th, 1912, and that was 100 years ago, the sinking of the Titanic. On April the 10th, 1912, the Titanic left uh, Southampton, England, for, if you remember, New York. We actually visited the shipyard in Belfast when we lived in Ireland of where it was initially being constructed, uh, Harlan and Wolf uh, Shipyard. The Titanic was four city blocks long and carried the most up-to-date safety devices. She featured uh, a French sidewalk cafe and luxurious suites. Interestingly, though, she only carried 20 lifeboats. When we were on our ship a few months back, one of the first things we did when we, we got there is they have you report to the muster station if you've been, been on a cruise line. And they will give, take you through the drill of what to do if there is a need for an evacuation. And I was curious to see that there were definitely more than 20 lifeboats <laughs> on that ship for a crew and, and passengers of about 4,000 people. The Titanic was 880 foot to, uh, 882 feet long, and it had been billed by some as the ship that God couldn't sink. Four days into the voyage on April 14, 1912, there were severe ice warnings that were received for the area that the Titanic was sailing. These warnings were ignored, and the Titanic made her course with no change or deviation from it for New York. At 11.40 p.m., that night, the Titanic struck an iceberg on the starboard side of her bow, and if you've read any of the history on it, or even seen the movie that was a couple of movies on it, she struck an iceberg on the starboard side of her, cow, um, of her bow, and she immediately began to sink, or I should say immediately began to take on a tremendous amount of water, and within two hours and 20 minutes, this ship that was said that could not sink did, and 1,523 of her passengers went with the ship to the bottom of the Atlantic. Only 705 of the original 2,228 persons were picked up, interestingly enough, from her half-filled lifeboats. The text this morning just reminds me of that when I was reading this recently of this word shipwreck. Interestingly, though, when we think of shipwreck, not every shipwreck happens on the water. Matter of fact, most occur, and some of the most serious and severe are what are called dry shipwrecks. There's probably a high probability that the majority of us here in this room this morning won't be involved in a wet, if you like, shipwreck at sea. But there is a probability, and the numbers go up among the people of God, of those who are going to experience dry shipwreck. And like I said, they may not be as devastating in the sense uh, and dramatic of what a whole uh, history knows of a Titanic, but I would say they're actually in some ways far more devastating 
and far more dramatic in the lives of those that are affected with it. I want to look this morning just at this, this short passage, and we get a couple of clues in, some, in Timothy's, uh, Paul's letter to Timothy in the second chapter as to what went wrong, what, what causes dry shipwreck. And really the first thing I want to touch on is, as Paul mentions it here, in, and he names them by name, there is the very obvious reality that shipwrecks occur. They're not just something that is kind of like a possibility they are a probability, and they happen to these two men that Paul singles out by name. And their names are Hymenaeus and Alexander. We don't really know a whole lot about these two guys. But interestingly enough, the Word of God, for all ages, has their names recorded. And you would probably think, man, if I were those two guys, I would have wanted to do everything I could to have my name recorded in the book of, in the word of God that would be like this. I'd want my, want my name recorded in this kind of way, wouldn't you? Maybe there's a clue a little bit if they're the same two people. If you go to 2 Timothy, we just learned just a, a quick thing about one of the guys 2 Timothy chapter 2, when you think of why did these guys shipwreck, or what is it that they did, if it's the same person, it says in verse 17 of 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus, there's that name, and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. And the, what seems to be the issue here as to what specifically was going on with this man, Hymenaeus, if it's the same Hymenaeus in 2 Timothy as is in 1st, is there was false teaching. They said they, they have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and then destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. Sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. So it was, there was this error about the resurrection saying it was just a, it was a figurative one. It wasn't a literal body resurrection. And so the big deal here is not only is that error, but also it was troubling and destroying the faith of some. And so this is something that has to be dealt with. And then you go to 2 Timothy, stay in that in chapter 4. And when you come to verse 14, you see, well, what was it about Alexander? If it's the same Alexander, it says, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him. And here's a, a clue, because he strongly opposed our message. At one time, it would appear, if you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, just to our text, at one time it appeared that these men were, were walking with the Lord. Just like I trust, if you're a believer today, so are you. So am I. But something, something, something started to change. I've been a Christian now, and it gets a little scary when I start thinking about this, when I have to keep upping the number of years, and then it starts telling me something. But I've been a believer now 36 years. Um, it feels like it was just two days ago on that day in, when I was 16 and up in Placerville, California that I 
was very convicted of my sin, and I'd been attending church and playing church and kind of trying to be one step in, one step out, you know, one foot in, one foot out. And um, the Lord touched me and saved me that day up in Placerville, California. I can remember it like, it like I said, it was yesterday. Been married 31 years. So I'm starting to get a little bit of life experience now of, of what I've seen and what goes on in the world. And I have to be honest, I have seen a number, and it's always so encouraging the longer now that I am a Christian, when I see men and women who at 30, 35, 40, 45, 50 years are still, by the grace of God, walking faithfully with him. That's a huge encouragement. Because I'll be honest, there also are a number over the years that I have seen who have fallen. And we could, we could go on now and... and uh, and they're public names, I don't need to mention them, uh, but they're names that we know very well that have been uh, on television. Uh, whether they have been evangelists or they have been pastors or have, they have been teachers, we, we have seen it. Um, and then, of course, you can narrow it back down to home, and we've been in our fellowships where we know dear brothers and sisters who have, for whatever reasons, and uh, you can usually narrow them down to a few, have shipwrecked. Uh, some, some, thankfully, by the grace of God, come back. Uh, the shipwreck isn't uh, one like the Titanic that goes right to the floor. But others, to this day, have not. And so, obviously, what we do in that situation is, is we just continue to pray. Uh, we, and we probably forget. Uh, we probably aren't as faithful in remembering to pray for those who have fallen away um, as we should. But it, it happens. I was watching someone... Uh, when I was at the gym the other day, and they were speaking on uh, Wolf Blitzer's show, um, I forget what it's called, but it's in the afternoon, and I almost fell off my bike when I heard this evangelist, this pastor of a church in Texas saying some things that were absolute false teaching. To be able to say that other denominations, i.e. another group called the Mormons, are brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, that is not true. Their doctrine does not teach that. And when he was saying this, and then also including Hinduism also as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a man of a church of over 10,000 people. When I heard that, I wanted to fall off my bike, and I wanted to say, everyone who is in that fellowship in Texas should be leaving when there's that kind of teaching that's going on, because it's diminishing the very person of who Jesus Christ is. He is God. And any other religion that teaches short of that is in serious error. And we shouldn't stand by it. But the interesting thing is, is when I hear these stories and I listen to this, and I think of all what I have seen, I also remember that it can happen to us. That there's no one in this room that is immune or exempt from shipwreck. King David King David was in his 40s when he shipwrecked. And we're going to look a little bit more about what happened in his life. But this was a man after God's own heart. A man who scribed a number of the Psalms and whose victories we see in Scripture. But there is another side. And God says, I'm going to record it as well in Scripture for you to see. 1 Corinthians 10:12 says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction, a proud spirit before a fall. So I'm very conscious when I say about the reality of shipwreck, I am not just pointing, I'm not pointing the finger 
at, the, at others to say other than, I also know that it can happen to me if I'm not careful. It happened to these two men here that Paul mentions. When you think about it, we saw some of the examples of the reasons for shipwreck that we read in 2 Timothy, if they're to be the same two, and we can get a little bit of a glimpse from that. But it does say that in 1 Timothy 1, in verses 18, that 1 and 20, that the problem is, is that they did not hold on to their faith. It's kind of an interesting phrase. What it means is they put away their faith. It means to thrust or push away. And it was a deliberate turning from truth that they, that they knew to be truth to error. Deliberate. Hymenaeus, it appears very clear that he rejected true teaching of the faith and he embraced false doctrine. Alexander testified against the apostle by all accounts and he was bringing false charges against Paul and he was very harmful to him. And as I alluded to, some are in the very process even today in 2012 of doing the very same thing who name the name of Jesus. Interestingly, though, I don't believe that the move from truth, and if you were to talk to Hymenaeus, there was some way for us to interview Alexander and say, what happened? How, how was it that, like, there are some in Hebrews 11 who have been referred to in that chapter as the Hall of Faith chapter. How is it that you have ended up in the Hall of Shame? and that you have been mentioned in this way, and you've actually had this most severe discipline done to you that you've been handed over to Satan. How, how is it that it happened? If we were to go back and rewind the tape, what, what happened to you guys? If they were to stand here today and tell us, what would they say? I would say probably they would say, you know what, it was subtle. It didn't happen overnight. I didn't just decide today that I am going to turn from truth and I'm going to go all the way over to the other side and be in error. But something was slowly occurring. There was some kind of a leakage, if you like. And it was happening in their lives. You take the example of a frog. Put it in a, you've heard the analogy before. You put it in a pan of, of water. Pan of cold water. Then you just turn on that burner to boil, and it will, it will sit there, that frog will just sit there as the water slowly starts to heat up. Because it's a cold-blooded animal, it's oblivious to the change in the temperature. And before it's too late, he's boiled to death, but he never felt it. And that's what happens in that most subtle way, isn't it? It's, we're like those frogs sometimes, and we're just sitting in the pan. And if we're not sensitive, and our conscience has been seared in some way, and we're getting away from what is the truth about what the Word of God teaches on a number of issues of how to live life, we'll become like that frog. You know, when you go back to the Titanic, throughout the day on April 14th, her wireless operators, and I was watching a number of shows on this because I kind of find the whole thing fascinating in a very um, just mesmerizing kind of way, the whole story of what happened. They received at least six messages which described field ice and icebergs that were on her course directly ahead. And I didn't remember this, but even at 
just about an hour prior to the impact. At 10.30 exactly from a ship called the Rappanahanic, there was a Morse code lamp message, a visual message of a warning. Not only did you have the wireless operators, and it was acknowledged. It was acknowledged on the Titanic's bridge that they saw the, the Morse code. But she kept full steam ahead, right into the danger. There's no evidence from all what historians have said that the captain was ever given that information. His name was Captain Smith. And at this point, he was, of course, asleep in his quarters. The danger and the warning signs, if you take it back to us and you take it back to this issue of sin and the whole issue of dry shipwreck, is, is when we allow sin to go unchallenged in our lives. Yeah, we know it's there. And yet we're kind of, we're kind of comfortable with it. We, we, we think, you know, it, it's, I'm only going to let it go, this attitude, this wrong spirit, this lustful look, this neglect of my wife or husband, uh, whatever it is, this, I'm only going to let it just go so far, and then I'll reel it back. Instead of, instead of saying, you know, I'm conscious of sin in my life, Lord. I'm conscious that what I'm doing right now is, is disobedience. It's, it's breaking my fellowship with you. I'm very clear about it. And God, by your grace, I, I'm asking you to forgive me. And I want to deal with it, Lord. I, want to, I don't want to go to bed tonight with this here, still unresolved. And uh, if you work midnight shift, then you want to resolve it in the morning before you go to bed. But I want to resolve it. And matter of fact, I'm so genuine, Lord, about this, or I should say I'm so sincere about this, and I mean business with you, that I'm even going to tell somebody else that I trust uh, about this to help me and just to pray for me instead of keeping this thing a secret. The other problem, another warning sign is rationalizing. It's okay. Surely God understands when you know that the scriptures say exactly the opposite about that. Backslidden conditions, which isn't usually ever really remember, referenced as Christians, but we know the phrase well as far as a backslidden believer. Again, it doesn't just happen overnight. It's like that slow thaw or that fire has been going out ever so slowly as far as the burn. And you know, we all have known that, haven't we? That, that flame of passion and intensity for Christ. And, and then we also have sensed, you know, in this long journey, there are times when that flame is just kind of flickering. And I'll be honest, in my 36 years, there's been times where it's almost as though the fire's gone out, but the Holy Spirit has re-extinguished it, or I should say relit it, and it's been a blaze again. But it's, it just doesn't happen without some effort on my part as well with the Holy Spirit to keep going. I mean, it's like a relationship just doesn't happen with only one side putting all the effort in. It's two sides. We go to the doctor and we get a physical checkup. The doctor, he or she tells us what it is we need to do. You know, everything looks good here, but just guess what? You got to cut out those donuts. You got to cut out that fried food. 
you got to cut out the ice cream and all those good things and go to fat uh, skim milk and all this, blah, blah, blah. But we, we listen to it, and, and for the most part, we probably don't question that they're wrong. We say, yeah, that's right, I should do that, and, and I hope I will. But we, we listen to what they say, and we don't really question it. What about a spiritual checkup? We should be getting those physical checkups, I guess, once or every one or every two years at least, depending on your age. I would say a spiritual checkup ought to be occurring a lot more than once or twice every couple of years. Matter of fact, you could argue that they could be going on monthly, where you're just kind of before the Lord, quietly, just kind of saying, you know, God, how, how, how are things between you and I? How, how is my walk with you? Because that's what it's about. We're not talking about a performance here. We're talking about a relationship here. How, how is the walk with you? Am I growing? You know, are we connected? Uh, like a lot of times wives are much more, you know, dialed in on that. And they ask us husbands this question. And we're just like, we don't even quite know how to respond to it. It's kind of like, what? You know, I just, everything seems good. We're eating food and, you know, I'm working and everything's fine. And what else? But they're dialed in. They want intimacy. And so does the Lord with us. So I ask you the question, and these are very simple questions. You know, uh, if they'd been asked to Hymenaeus and Alexander, maybe it might have made a difference in this sad commentary of what occurred to them. But one question is simply this, how's my heart? Of course, I'm not talking about this one here that if you hold your, put your hand over, hopefully you feel it beating this morning. But how's my heart? Because out of that heart, out of your, your soul, out of that spirit, out of the inner you, who you are, that really is what governs then how you behave. Because if the heart is dead, if the heart is as cold as ice, and then you're just going, and I'm just going through whatever these motions are, then we're missing it. Because that's what happened in some way, shape, or form to the Pharisees, is they started getting so fixed on all the outward but God said, you know, and Jesus said, uh, your, your heart is, is far from me. Matter of fact, he said, you were whitewashed tombs to them. And I just absolutely drove them nuts. They wanted to got rocks. They were ready to kill them at that. You phonies, is what he said to them, with the authority that the Lord Jesus could say, because their heart wasn't right. What am I tolerating in my life that it needs to go? Like I said before, I think when I spoke here a few months back, are we tolerating a low-grade fever of 99, you know, when God wants us normal and healthy, but whatever that sin is that has us over that 98.6, we're tolerating it. We're letting it stay. Where have I gotten lazy? You know, that's a convicting one because, you know, again, if you're involved in exercise and you're, you, Paul says, hey, discipline your body, and that's good. But it's even better if you're spiritually disciplined. That's of even more profit. And, you know, I realize when, you know, some of you guys who are in women who are into the exercise, it's like you just feel bad if, you know, one or two days go and you don't walk or you don't go and do that exercise, whatever it is. And that's good, I think. But have we allowed in ourselves to get kind of lazy spiritually? It's like, well, you know what? If, if you read through the Bible five pages, five chapters, I should say, a day, you'd finish it in a year. 
Matter of fact, it might be five pages. I was just told this on Thursday. I'll double check that. But if, if it's five pages, we'd be finished in a year. What if I stop doing that I need to restart? Scriptures give us this challenge and revelation. Rekindle. What was it that you used to do that you've stopped that was really healthy in your walk with the Lord? Was it memorizing scripture? Was it meditating on a passage? Was it going out and just spontaneously wanting to tell somebody about Jesus because you love him and you have no other reason why that you want that person to know him too? And then lastly, who's in my life that will check on me? I get a report every week from a couple of brothers. They send me an email, comes in and lets me know everything that they've checked on their computer. That's good. There's a number of sites out there. That's wanting to be accountable. And the motivation for it is, is they want to be holy and pure before God. You know, the thing is, the great physician, he cares about our souls. I can't honestly say my doctor at present, I can't really remember his name. I think it's, I think it's Dr. Ho. I've just seen him like once every year. And frankly, I don't think he really knows me. He, he looks at the chart and tells me a few things I should do. And I have to remind him of a few things from the past. The last few times I've gone and seen him. But your great physician cares for you. And so whatever commands he's given us, whatever things he tells us to do, it's for our good. It's not in order to be a burden to us or to ruin our lives. And then we come into this last section. We come to the results, and we've sort of seen it already with these two men. But the results of dry shipwrecks, what's, what's the big deal? Well, it's, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. And I don't fully understand what this means. Uh, it's sobering, though, when I read it, that Paul said, and I'm confused in some ways because there's other examples in Corinthians where he tells the church to deliver someone over, a man who is actually having relations with his mother-in-law. In this example, he says, I himself have handed over to Satan these two guys. Man, I don't know what could be worse. Handed over to Satan. Their consciences were compromised. There was no evidence of repentance. And so as a final and as a last straw, that's what he had to do. They were put out of the church. Another word for it is excommunicated. Who wants that on their resume? Reason for that is twofold. The scriptures are clear on this. It's to protect the church because that's what was happening. They were, they were saying stuff, doing stuff that was upsetting others. And you can't have that. And also, and this is what's really hard for people is to understand, it was also actually loving. And it was with the purpose of wanting to, to correct them. The, if at all, some way, whatever that would mean, that they would be open to, to this being in Satan's territory now, and it might even result in their physical death, when that would happen. And I don't know what the outcome was. But the, the idea was, is that in addition to that, that they would, they would come back. And I have seen that. I will say that. I have seen that in my 36 years as a believer. There have been examples. I'm sorry to say they're less than they are more frequent. But I have seen men and women come back who have been dry shipwrecked and have wanted to return. And it was because this step had been in the process of happening after Matthew 18, 
which talks about first talking to the person one-on-one, -on -one, and then if they don't listen, you bring two. And then if they don't listen, you bring it to the church. That whole process had happened, and it worked out in a wonderful celebrating victory of, of uh, turning away from sin. I'm so encouraged. One of the books I, I have read probably six months, I read it about every six months, I've had it for a number of years, is called uh, Finishing Strong by a guy named Stephen Farrar. And I'm indebted to him for these comments that he has made on this issue of, of shipwrecks. And he says it in three things, three ways when, it, when you deal with not only when you think about the issue of how your sin has consequences, and he puts it this way, shipwrecks can take you farther than you want it to go. That's the first point, there's three. And if you, you can then uh, change the word from shipwrecks to sin, same idea. Sin can take you farther than you wanted to go. Captain Edward Smith, he was the one at the helm of the Titanic. He was given the honor of the maiden voyage. He was 59 years old. He actually was the one who had been chosen for all the maiden voyages of this particular fleet, and that was his assignment. He was that good. Plans where he was going to retire when he got to New York. He only wanted to go as far as New York. But due to the shipwreck, he went further than he wanted to go, 13,000 feet further in the wrong direction. If you're familiar with David, King David, sin took him farther than he wanted to go. When he stood up on his roof and he saw Bathsheba, he then called for her he only had a, probably in his mind, the intentions of an of a indiscreet night, or I should say discreet night, of adultery. Yet within weeks, he was guilty of betrayal, murder, and as you know, a major cover-up. It was about a year later when Nathan, the prophet, came to him. That whole year, David was pretending that everything was okay, and look what was going on. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be, be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Another one that uh, is mentioned in finishing strong is shipwrecks can keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Passengers had been deceived and naive to thinking that every safety procedure had been taken place when they boarded. And when the evacuation is said, if you've seen it or read any of the st stories on it, it says women and children first. And there were a number of men that thought that they would just eventually follow that there was enough lifeboats, but first was the women and children. And of course, that wasn't the case. There were only 20 lifeboats, and as I mentioned earlier, of those 20 lifeboats, most of them were only half filled. Over 1,500 people were kept longer than they wanted to stay. Stories told of a man named, a young man named Adam Clark, who was a sales clerk in a store that sold this fine silk to people of the upper classes in London. And one day his employer showed young Adam how he could increase sales and profits by subtly stretching the silk as he measured it out. 
Adam replied, your silk may stretch, but my conscience won't. And that's the thing that was going on here with these two, is their conscience was stretching until they got to the place they did. David eventually had eight wives. History says possibly 12 and 10 concubines. And of those wives, he had 21 sons and one daughter. And those aren't even counting the concubines. And then lastly, shipwrecks can cost you more than you wanted to pay. Or again, sin can cost you more than you wanted to pay. The passengers on the Titanic, many of those who booked were uh, very, very wealthy. And they were in first class, and they paid thousands of dollars to have the very best. Um, the, ships, the ship we were on, I, we did not pay the very best to be on it, I guarantee you that. I saw some, how some did live, though, with some of the quarters that they have on these ships. Many of them were extremely wealthy, but it was a trip that cost them more than they were ever willing to pay. Polygamy was the continual crack in David's armor. You read, the second, you read 2 Samuel, the first 10 chapters, it's all triumph in David's life. But when Bathsheba occurred in chapter 11 and following, David's life really from then on, in many ways, was one of trouble. And of course, there was somebody who was watching David's life. And this is the consequences of shipwreck, is Solomon was watching one of his sons. Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines. The children are hugely impacted when we dry shipwreck. I don't know how many stories I have heard of people who, by watching what has happened with their parents, uh, has had an impact where they've turned away from the faith. Conversely, when you are honoring God as a, as a, just a genuine and sincere who makes mistakes, who has to apologize, and who has to ask God for forgiveness as well as them for forgiveness, it makes a huge impact in the positive. The cost for David was after that affair with Bathsheba, his infant son died. His oldest son, Amon, raped his half-sister and David's daughter, Tamar. Absalom killed his brother Amnon to revenge for the rape of Tamar. And years later, his trusted friend, and I struggled with how to pronounce this guy's name, but it's something like Athapal. You can check me on the spelling and get back to me. This was his trusted friend. He assisted Absalom in a plot to overthrow David and take the kingdom out of his hands. And then you think, if you go, and as I was reading this, you think, well, why would Athapal betray David, whom he had served for decades? Why would he do it? And you find out, Athropal was the grandfather of Bathsheba and the father of Eliam. And then you say, well, who was Eliam? And he was probably the best friend of Uriah, who David had murdered on the front line. Your sin, our sin will find us out. 
And this happened in David's life. In 1912, the world was amazed by the Titanic. It was a uh, spectacular ship. And people thought it would be around for years for service. People thought it was going to be a huge moneymaker, as well as one that thousands of passengers would set sail on. And yet, because of the errors, and I've only highlighted a few, some of them small, some of them large, she became a shipwreck. And when she sank, as we have seen, many, many innocent lives went down with her. Someone has said, there is an iceberg out there with your name and my name on it. And I don't know what that iceberg issue is, if it's a love of money, if it's uh, a tendency that you don't know the truth, and so you might fall into error by not only what you believe, but what you tell others. Or if it's an issue with, as a man or a woman here that you have eyes for someone else that you shouldn't have eyes for. I don't know what that iceberg is, but if you think of it, it's, it's out there. The Titanic, the interesting thing was, some have said, some uh, ship experts have said that if it, when it saw the iceberg, if it had just plowed directly into it, it would have been a major impact. But people, at that point, it would have seen it head on and in a sense dealt with it. It wouldn't have probably sank. But what it did was the natural, at the last minute, it got too far, too close, tried turning, and then was wiping out that storeward bow, and just like a razor blade cutting and slicing a hole underneath the waterline. And the damage was much worse. God wants to remind us today, don't wait until it's at that 11th hour to turn, if you see it well in advance. We don't want to be, and I, and I was thinking about this and praying about this over the last couple of days, just saying again and again, Lord, I don't want my legacy. I don't want my legacy, and you have to think about this. It doesn't matter if you're 50 years old or you're 20 years old, because it could happen at any point, but I just don't want my legacy when we're going to leave this earth to say, you know, he, he started well, but he, but he finished poorly. He, he shipwrecked, and he didn't recover. Galatians 6.1 says, if you find someone like this, to restore them gently back to the faith, because take heed, it could happen to you. Let's pray. Father, we just are sobered by this passage, and yet we're um, also very grateful that you tell us and remind us of these things, and you, you even show us and tell us people by name who, whom are yours and uh, who uh, accomplished many things for your name and at the same time may have fallen. And Lord, we know we're not immune. Uh, so with no pride on our part, we just humbly ask you, Lord, to just keep us close to yourself. We, we pray for whatever the icebergs, whether small or large, that are out there on the horizon, that we know that if you're the captain of the ship and our eyes are focused on you, that we'll be able to navigate through these waters of life um, wherever they take us. But we just pray that we'll be your people who will have hearts that love you and cling to you and look for you for all our direction. We pray that you'll protect us from deception. There's so much of it out there that we will be alert to be able to examine it as we see it from what the scriptures teach, and that we'll be men and women who know the word of God and we'll be able just to say that, Lord, our, our walk with you is growing uh, 
it's growing daily, it's, it's, it's growing weekly, it's, it's going in the right direction because we're, we're clinging to you, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.